You're listening to sermon audio from Providence Baptist Church. Be sure to check out pbcfrankfort.org for more information. If you have a Bible, if you turn to 1 Corinthians 5, 1 Corinthians 5, and uh, Lord's Supper Sundays are always favorite Sundays, not only because of what we remember and acknowledge the work of Christ, but our kids stay with us throughout all this time, and I've said it before, and I'll say it again, and I'm sure I'll say it a couple dozen more times, depending on how many years I've got here. Um, Kids in here is a good thing because it means the future has a church, or that the church has a future. Um, The sound of kids, the presence of kids, that is a good thing in the life of the church, and so uh, we're, we're grateful for them to be in here. Do not worry about your children. Uh, and, and take this opportunity as parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, whatever um, role you may play in a child's life today and help them to see and understand the, the glory of what we're going to be talking about today with the, with the sacrifice of Christ. 1 Corinthians 5, 6, and 8, I've titled this one, Time for a House Cleaning. 1 Corinthians 5, um, as a whole, this chapter is actually um, about church discipline. Uh, It's an issue of, uh, there's two main issues that the church at Corinth were dealing with here. The first verse has uh, a little understanding of it, that there was an issue of sexual morality. And because we do have children with us today, I'm not going to go into detail with that. But you can read that on your own this week and see what was going on in that church. And so there was that issue to contend with. And the second issue is found in verse 2, that the church was actually prideful about it. They were boastful about it. They were arrogant about that issue and essentially about that issue being something that they tolerated or approved of. And so these two issues set the stage for the teaching of 1 Corinthians 5, which is the issue of church discipline. Now, today is not a message about church discipline. We're going to extract verses 6, 7, and 8 today, and we're going to apply them to a personal level as opposed to a corporate or community level. But I will just say this as a side understanding. Churches should have a good understanding of what church discipline looks like and practice it. It's in the scriptures. From the Old Testament to the commands that God gave the people of Israel and how to deal with sin in their midst and how to process that to the New Testament of Matthew 18 and Second uh, uh, Timothy 2 and Titus 3 and other places that speak of how to deal with persons who are proclaiming to be Christ followers, proclaiming to be saved and living things in their lives that should not be lived. Uh, the scriptures are clear that should exist within a church. You probably in this modern day have not heard much of church discipline or maybe have not seen much of it. And some of that's for very good reasons, to be very honest. There have been a lot of abuse of church discipline. Church discipline used to uh, break people down and belittle people and hurt people and crush people. That is not godly biblical church discipline. Godly biblical church discipline is for the restoration of a person. It's that they might be saved or they might come to a better understanding of their salvation in Jesus that they might then follow him. So uh, that's the context of this, but we're going to take verses 6, 7, and 8 out of 1 Corinthians 5, and we're going to apply them more to an individual or personal application today as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper. So look at those verses with me, if you will. Follow along, 1 Corinthians 5, verses 6, 7, and 8. 
Paul writes, your boasting or your prideful, your arrogance is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you are really, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us not therefore celebrate the festival not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and of evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. He uses these words like leaven and unleavened, and uh, that, that basically is very similar to what you might call yeast today. Uh, it's an agent or it's an active agent that uh, causes bread to rise or uh, to, to puff up. And so a leavening agent is something that causes something to grow. But he's talking about this issue of leaven, and leaven goes all the way through the scriptures, going all the way back to the original instructions for the very first Passover that God gives to Israel. And I'm going to read, uh, if you want to turn there and follow along, it's Exodus 12, but I want to give this as a foundation for an understanding for us. Exodus 12, beginning verse 14, this was the, these were the instructions from God to Israel as they were anticipating being removed from Egypt about what the Passover would look like. So Exodus 12, beginning verse 14. This day shall be a memorial day for you, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord. Throughout your generations, as a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses, for if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day to the seventh, that person shall be cut off from Israel." On the first day, you shall hold a holy assembly, and on the seventh day, a holy assembly. No work should be done on those days, but what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared by you. And you shall observe this feast of unleavened bread, for on this very day, I brought your hosts, or your people, out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout all your generations as a statute forever." In the first month, from the 14th day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month at evening. And for seven days, no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a sojourner or native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened, and in all your dwelling places, you should eat unleavened bread. Now, leaven, 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 unleavened, leaven, 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 right? What God is teaching them here is a little bit later in the Exodus story, in the same chapter, they have to leave Egypt so quickly that essentially they take bread with them that has not yet begun to rise. It is unleavened bread. And so God is teaching them in Exodus 12 in anticipation of their leaving Egypt to hold this feast, to hold this memorial that would also be very synonymous with the Passover. And matter of fact, in Leviticus 23 and Deuteronomy 16, they specifically refer to the Passover event. And it would be this, this time in Israel's life, in their history, in the lives of their people, where they would remember what God had done in taking them out of Egypt. And the focus of it was on they would do this with unleavened bread. To remind them of that. 
Now, elsewhere in the scriptures, leaven takes on other symbolic meanings. Leaven is often compared to sin. In Matthew 16 and Mark 8, Jesus warns his disciples of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees' teaching. What they were famous for was uh, teaching but not keeping. They were quick to point out, they were quick to criticize, they were quick to condemn, but they were not so quick to do that themselves. Matter of fact, Jesus specifically says that in Luke 12, he specifically calls the leaven of the Pharisees hypocrisy. And so understanding what leaven does, it's something small that then grows, helps us to understand how it's seen as sin in these places. That this leaven of hypocrisy, the leaven of, of people who were teaching but not doing, all those are things that can then grow in a very negative sense. But Additionally, leaven is often seen as something positive as well. In Matthew 13, he tells a parable in verse 33, a one-sentence parable. He says, The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. And so here he speaks of leavening as a, as a good thing, that it's hidden in three measures of flour until it all becomes. And so... Comparing the kingdom of heaven to that, what Jesus is saying is from very small things, great things can happen in a very positive sense. So one of the things we understand through Paul's words here in 1 Corinthians 5 and through the remainder of the scripture is that leaven is seen as something tiny, a portion that's something small, but can have many, many large effects either positively or negatively. Negatively in the sense of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they led many people astray by their hypocrisy. Positively, in comparing it to the kingdom of heaven, Jesus says from something very small can grow something very good and large in a very good way. Something small that affects everything. Um, Alyssa makes great coffee cake. Some of you all that have had that coffee cake can agree with that statement. Alyssa typically makes that with a specific type of butter because one of our kids, Kenzie, many of you know, has really severe dairy allergies and she cannot eat such delicious things as butter. So Alyssa made some coffee cake the other day and just on a whim put regular butter in it instead of Kenzie's butter. Not a big deal, not a big deal other than the fact that Kenzie couldn't eat it. Why? Because if Kenzie eats it, we're going to the ER. Jamming EpiPens in her legs. Well, I'll use that for an example because in the recipe for that coffee cake, that amount of butter probably represents less than 5% of the total ingredients of that coffee cake. So less than 5% of the wrong ingredient was bad for Kenzie. It was good for the rest of us. It was bad for Kenzie. And we would look at something like that and say, well, 95% good must be okay not in this case. And so what we're seeing with the picture of leaven in the scriptures, and particularly with the picture of leaven as being comparable to sin, is we can't get to a point where we can say, well, you know, 98% good in my case must be okay. 80% good must be okay. Because what the scripture teaches us is when we compare leaven to this issue of sin, that there's not to be a speck of it in our lives. 
Paul's command in verse 6 here in 1 Corinthians 5, again, if you read it with me again, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? He says, you're applauding, you're, you're proud of what's going on. It's not just that they're having a grace towards these individuals. And I want to make that clear. There's a difference between a church and an individual or individuals who are, are battling their flesh, battling the sin in their lives. There's a difference between the church coming alongside in grace and working alongside that person and being boastful and proud and arrogant about it. I believe churches should be places of grace. And where I struggle and where you struggle and where we confess to one another our struggles, we should come along one another in the grace of Jesus Christ. But there's a difference between coming along one another and, and alongside one another in grace and flat out approving or boasting of it. And so he says to them, you're boasting of it, you're applauding of it. Don't you know that just a little bit of leaven leavens the whole lump? In other words, what he's saying is, don't you know that just a little bit of sin has the power to affect the whole body? And so he gives them a command in verse 7 to cleanse that leaven. Look again. Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. The cleansing that he calls them to do in this context of church discipline is to basically remove the person because they're unrepentant. They're not coming to it as a struggle. They're not coming to it as a, an issue that they're trying by the grace of God, the power of God to overcome. They're embracing it. They're indwelling within it. They're celebrating it. And so he says to them, you should remove that person from your midst. You should clean that out, cleanse that out, because it has the ability to affect everything. Again, this is not a sermon today on church discipline, but for us individually, and so what we learn from Paul's words here is, is there a little bit of sinful leaven in my life, in your life, that has the ability to affect the entirety of our lives? Are we diligent to look for that in our lives, to ask God to examine our lives, to ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us through his word, to say to us, this is something that does not belong in your life? Why does it not belong in our lives, those of us who are Christians? Because, verse 7, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. There's a finality to that statement. Jesus has been sacrificed. He has gone to the cross. Therefore, you are free from the power of sin. Therefore, you are forgiven of your sins. And Paul is saying to them, don't go back to your old ways or don't allow the old ways to creep in because you're supposed to be different now. Your life is supposed to be changed. The Passover meal and this festival of unleavened bread represented the freedom of God's people from slavery and exile in Egypt. And the purpose of it was to remind them to praise God for his freeing work. It was to remind them to praise God for the work that he had done in their lives. It was to remind them to live lives that were appropriate of his great mercy in their lives. But today, we, as a church, don't necessarily observe Passover or the Festival of Unleavened Bread, but once a month, on the last Sunday of the month, we gather to remember the work of the cross through what we call the Lord's Supper. We are called to observe it in the same fashion that Paul is challenging here. When you and I take of these in a the moment, those of us who are, are belonging in Christ, 
when we take of this, we are reminding ourselves of the work that Jesus did for our behalf on the cross. We're reminding ourselves that just as God freed Israel out of the bondage of slavery in Egypt, Jesus has freed us out of the bondage of sin. We're reminded that just as God worked in the life of Israel and defeated the Pharaoh and his powers, so in the same way has Christ defeated the works of the devil in our lives by what he has done on the cross. Just as God brought Israel out of Egypt, gave them a new home, secured a good relationship for them with him, Christ has done the same for us. He has brought us out of spiritual exile and he's created for us a relationship with God through him. So as we, as we honor that today, as we remember that today, we're to do it in these fashions that Paul describes here in 1 Corinthians 5, 6 through 8. Look at verse 8 with me, if you will. He says, let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. What does he mean here? The old leaven is the leaven of who they used to be. The old leaven is the leaven of who you used to be and who I used to be. And here he specifically names two things. I don't think these are necessarily meant to encompass the entirety of sinful actions in a person's life. But he says two things. Malice, which is to be hostile, to be unfriendly, to have a hateful disposition towards others and towards God. He says, don't celebrate it with malice and don't celebrate it with evil. Here the word evil means depraved or perverse, but it really has this intention, using something that would be virtuous and moral to accomplish something evil. So in other words, it's taking something that God intended for good and using it to accomplish something evil. So he says, malice and evil, do not, do, do not celebrate the festival there, but celebrate it with the unleavened bread, meaning the, the new person that you are, with sincerity and truth. Sincerity is just exactly what you might imagine. Honest, straightforward in attitude and speech. In Ephesians 4, 15 and 16, Paul talks to the church of Ephesus there and commands them to speak the truth in love. We do a decent job at times speaking truth I don't know that we always do a decent job at speaking truth in love we tend instead to want to speak truth as we yell it at people he says speak the truth in love and there's an issue with sincerity here that it is honest and it's straightforward in our attitude and our speech but it is connected here with truth Truth meaning actual reality, not fantasy, not make-believe, a dependable truth. We have a, a saying in our culture that has existed for quite a while that it doesn't really matter what you believe so long as you're sincere. That is not truth. I can sincerely believe the moon is made out of cheese, but that does not mean it's true. So Paul is teaching the church at Corinth, he's teaching us that the way we observe today, the way we remember, the way we imagine who Jesus is and what he's done, we do so with sincerity and truth. The truth of God's word, the truth of who Jesus has been revealed to be to us, and the truth of the Spirit. Now this is interesting because apparently the Corinthian church 
which was largely not Jewish in nature, was continuing to observe Jewish festivals and remembrances. Now, I'll just include that for this point. As a non-Jewish Christian, you really should know more about those things. Doesn't necessarily mean we hold them, doesn't necessarily mean we put them on our calendar and do them, but their story is now our story. And the feasts and the celebrations and the things that Israel and the people have gone through is part of who we are. As, as Gabriel and Kiki have been adopted into our family, my story is now their story. And in the same way, the Jewish people's story is ours. So this church was apparently remembering that. That should be something we could consider. But if we consider such things, again, with malice, with deception, with evil, Paul is essentially saying you'd be better off not doing it at all. If you're going to go through it in the wrong way, the wrong fashion, you'd be better off not doing it at all. Jesus makes a similar teaching in Matthew 5 when he says, if you've come to the altar to bring your gift and you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift and go and be reconciled. Jesus is teaching, don't just go through that religious motion. If there's, a, if there's an issue between you and another brother or sister in Christ, don't finish what you started because to finish what you started without reconciling is a bad thing leave go be reconciled then come back and offer your gift it's a very similar teaching here with Paul now I I titled this time for a house cleaning and I want to take you back to Exodus 12 15 for just a moment this is why I talked about this or titled it this way Part of that command from God was this. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses. For if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. It's a very hard phrase, isn't it? Cut off from Israel. Just for a little bit of leaven? That's how important it was to God. So Jewish families then, and even Jewish families still today who largely practice these things, will often go through the entirety of their homes scouring for any little bit of food that is leavened. Couch cushions lifted up, sofa cushions lifted up, chairs moved, ovens cleaned, stoves cleaned, refrigerators pulled out. Y'all know what the back of a refrigerator looks like when you pull it out, right? That's why you don't do it. But they go through all of this process. They go through the entire house. There, there are many actually who use one specific set of dishes for this time in their lives just for that purpose so as not to have any cross-contamination from the everyday dishes because for them it was that important. Now that might seem a bit much to us. But understand that when we read from the scriptures, this object lesson is clear particularly where leaven is seen as sin. In my life and in your life as a follower of Christ, as a disciple of Christ, we should be constantly pulling out couch cushions and sofa cushions and pulling the fridge away from the walls and going through our, our stoves and going through our ovens asking God, is there any leaven, sin in my life that is present? beautiful thing through Christ is that there is no condemnation in Jesus Christ, Romans 8.1. But the other beautiful thing of, this, of Jesus is that he calls us to be new. He calls us to be different. 
People say, well, you know, Jesus doesn't con- condemn our sin once we're in him, so it doesn't really matter. Absolutely it matters. 1 Corinthians 6, flee from sexual immorality. 1 Corinthians 10, flee from idolatry. 1 Timothy 6, in response to quarrels and prides and dissension and love of money, Paul says to Timothy, flee these things. All the various passages in Colossians and Ephesians and other places that say, put these sinful things to death that you may live in the newness of life. That's all just spiritual talk for you and I to go through and clean out the leaven. Clean out the leaven from our house. So the question for us today as we get ready to remember Christ's work on the cross is this. In my life and in your life, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you are a disciple of Christ, what leaven is in your life and my life? Is it a sinful leaven that grows and hinders and interrupts our fellowship with Christ? And our immediate response to that might be, well, yeah, but it's, it's, it's tiny. Remember the illustration of the house. Remember the command of God, let there not even be a speck of leaven left in the house. For the believer in Christ, we are to be on our guard, that there do not be a speck of sin left in our home, that is, our body. Is it the leaven of the hypocrisy of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, who say great things and teach great things, but don't observe them themselves? Is it the leaven that Paul talks about here of 1 Corinthians 5 of malice or evil? Or is the leaven that is in my life and your life that is taking over, that is growing, the leaven of the kingdom of heaven? The leaven of the kingdom of God. This is all important because later in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, when Paul is talking about the Lord's Supper, he would say this. Let a person examine himself and then eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Thanks for listening. If you have any thoughts, questions, or prayer concerns, please email us at pvcfrankfurt at gmail.com.